Good to be with you this morning. Pastor Mark is away at a conference, and uh, he asked me to preach for him this morning. And, you know, the last well, couple years, it's always been preaching um, in a series, so, so I know what I'm going to preach on. And this time when he said, hey, will you preach on this Sunday, you can preach on whatever you want. It was like, oh, so we're going to watch a movie this morning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but... Uh, um, as, as, as I prayed about it and, uh, and, and just uh, for, for direction, I kept coming back to, to the same place. And, and we're going to talk this morning about um, everybody wants to be found. And, and, and I think there, there's some truth to that, that in your life, no matter who you are, at, at some point, you, you want to be found. Um, when I was at my last church, which seems like forever ago, 13, 14, 15 years ago, um, and, and I worked with the youth. The way, way this church was built was um, you, you had the, the like sanctuary, the worship center, and then underneath that was all the Sunday school rooms. So it was like two stories, and the Sunday school rooms were laid out. There were small rooms like on the outside, and then in the middle there was a, a large room, and there was kind of a hallway that went all the way around it. I know it's hard to describe, but, th- but that's how it was. And there was no windows at all down there. So, of course... Um, doing the youth, we played a lot of games in the dark. And when we're talking dark, we're talking that you could not see your hand like this in front of your face. And uh, we would play different hide-and-seek games, different games like that. And it was so funny with the kids because, you know, the object of the hide-and-seek games is to go and hide and not be found. And they would go and hide, and probably within about two minutes, they'd be scared to death because they couldn't see anything that they'd start making noises or turn on lights, things like that, so they could be found quicker. Um, I mean, it was dark enough. There was one time I just went into the large room. We were playing normal hide-and-seek and just laid down on the floor, and no one ever found me. Um, I was just out in the middle of the floor, and, and that's how, how dark it was. Uh, but, you know, they got to the point where, you know what? I, I need to be found. I, I can't stand being in the dark. It, this, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, it, it's the same, you know... It's, it's starting to change now with my youngest, um, Emily, who's, who's four. But uh, playing hide-and-seek with her is, is a blast because she wants to be found. You know, a lot of times she's like, all right, Dad, count. And, you know, th- these are like things that she would hide behind, you know, <laughs> like this. So, so she could still see me, you know, so she could still see me. And so I, she could make sure that I found her so she wasn't, you know, or if she was going to go out of the room we were in, hey, hey Dad, I'm going to hide in the bathroom. You know, and it's, okay, okay. So, so she knew she wouldn't be alone for that long, that, that, that she would be found. Um, I, I think sometimes growing up, too, there is that specific guy or girl that we wanted to be found by or noticed. And, and you would, you know, position yourself in certain places, and, you know, usually it'd be like they walked by, didn't even break stride, you know, that, that kind of thing. But you wanted to be noticed. You, you wanted to be found by them. And... I think everyone in their life may be trying to hide things. Maybe there's stuff going on in, in your life that, that you're hiding. But deep down inside, you're like, man, you know what? I wish this could just be found out, that I could deal with it, and, and there'd be freedom there, that, that I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. anymore. I wish that, you know, I could just be found. I, I feel like I, I'm just not noticed. And this morning we're going to look primarily at, at a story um, that may be familiar to a lot of you. 
Um, it, it may not be. And, and the process that this person went through in, in finally realizing that, you know what, I need to be found and, and here's what I need to do about it. And, and it's, it's the story of the, the prodigal son. Um, it, it's a parable that Jesus um, taught. He, he taught a lot in stories or, or what was called parables um, in his life to, to teach life lessons. And, and this is one of them they did out of Luke chapter 15. And, and now we are just going to if you know the story, um, there's a younger son and an older son. We're just going to deal with the younger son this morning. Um, if you want to deal with the older son, you can read the rest of it um, through, I think, verse 31 or 32. Um, but he's a total other sermon in and of himself um, that, that uh, we'll deal with some other time. Um, so we're going to look at the younger son, which uh, starts in verse 11. And what it says here, it says that Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, just a, a little bit of history real quick on, on that is, is, you know, this was a, a pretty huge statement. Because basically, you got your inheritance when your father passed away. And, and so he was going to his father and saying, you know what? I want what you're going to give me when you're dead. Or in other words, kind of saying, I, I, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance so I can do what I want to do. And, and just so you know, the history too, the Jewish custom, the older son, um, if you read in Scripture in the Old Testament, when, when they're getting their inheritance, it would say like they get a double portion or that kind of thing. So since they had two sons, in, in this case, the older son would get twice as much as the younger son. So he would get two-thirds, the younger son got one-third. Of, of his inheritance. But the father went ahead and he said, all right, and I'll do this for you. And, and so he did that. And in verse 13, you read, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So just where we're at, you know, in the story, he took all of his wealth, he took all of his inheritance, went off to a distant country, and basically just squandered it all on wild living, on partying, on doing whatever he wanted to do. And once he lost all that money, there was a famine. And, and people were in need, and he decided, you know what, I have to at least do something. And, and so he started working for a guy. And the interesting thing here even, you know, another interesting thing is, is he was Jewish, and, and one of the animals that they considered detestable were pigs. And, and now he's having to work and feed pigs and, and be with them day after day after day. So he's sitting rock bottom, and he's to the point where, man, I wish I could even eat what I'm feeding these pigs. Basically, the scraps, the throwaway that nobody wants. But he didn't get anything. And so this is the point that he's at. And verse 17 then says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Incredible story, incredible picture of in the end, what the Father, what God does for us. But I want us to look a, a little bit at, at the Son's life, and, and maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's a point where you're at in your life where you're at the point where you are so down, things have just gone wrong because you're trying it on your own. You're trying it without anyone's help. And you're like, I just don't know what to do. I'm at a point where, where I've been hiding And I'm just realizing, you know what? I need to be found. I need someone to find me. And and in the story, that's what the son, you know, you saw in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he finally realized, he finally discovered a truth about himself that, you know what? I'm lost. And I think so many times in our lives, we don't get to that point. You may be sitting here and thinking, you know what? It's... It's okay. Everything's all right. But you need to get to that truth. You need to finally say, you know what? I'm at a place in my life where I am lost. I'm at a place in my life where I don't know what to do. And I need to be found. And you need to take a couple of steps. What you notice is he started to talk, as he started to say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, he recognized his selfishness. And and that's a huge part because we always think we can do things on our own. Today's society tells us that we can do so many things on our own. That it's a sign of weakness if you need somebody else's help. But you see in this younger son that he finally said, you know what? I've been selfish. I've squandered away everything. And he accepts the responsibility in that because you see him saying, well, this is what I'm going to say, that I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my father. And he accepts that responsibility and he stops blaming other people. We never blame other people for things we do, right? You know, not, not at all. It's, that's part of our society as well. You know, many, many years ago, a lady goes through a drive through at McDonald's, takes a cup of coffee, sets it on the seat between her legs, gets burnt, and sues McDonald's. I didn't know it was hot. You know? But now what do their cups say? Caution, very hot. You know, I like reading labels on things because when you read the cautions and you read through them, you know that someone has tried everything, all of the cautions that they say, or else they wouldn't be on the label. And it's kind of funny. So the next time you go through the, you know, the grocery store, start looking at all of the cautions, and you'll know, okay, this is what people have done, but yet they've blamed somebody else because it didn't say that would happen if I did that. You know, nowhere on your cup did you say the coffee was hot. And so it's not my fault that I got burnt. And, and we tend to blame other people. And, and here finally the son recognizes, you know what? I have no one to blame but myself for where I'm at. I can't pass the buck to anybody else. It's me. And it's the same in our lives. If we're lost and we finally come to that realization that, you know what? I need to be found. then you need to accept responsibility and say, you know what, I'm here because it's my fault. It's nobody else's. I'm the one who's making the wrong choices. I'm the one who's sinning. 
I'm the one who needs to go back or go to the Father. And you see in the story, he finally says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my Father. And and it's a great picture of how God relates to us if we finally decide to say, you know what, I'm tired of hiding. I want to be found, so I'm going to take that first step and start coming towards you. Because you see in that story, the Father runs out to him. And I'm sure the son in his mind, probably as he is traveling back, is repeating what he's going to say over and over again. You know, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm not worthy to be your son, just make me one of your hired servants, I'll be happy with that, because at least I'll be able to eat and I'll be back around here. Um, Please do that. He's probably thinking that over and over and over in his head. And he gets part of it out, and his father is like... I don't care what you have to say. Do not apologize. Put a clean robe on him. Get him our family ring back on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. We are going to celebrate because my son is alive again. My son is found again. And it's an incredible picture of what God is when you decide, you know what, I'm no longer going to hide. I want to have a relationship with you. He celebrates. And he says, you are now, basically like in this story, the, the younger son became born again. And, and you're born again. And there was nothing that the son could have done to change that with the father. The father came back to him and just said, you know what, I love you. You're my son. Let's celebrate. You are home again. A great quote about this comes from an author. His name is, is uh, Timothy Keller. And he writes this, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There's no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. There is nothing. If you're sitting here and thinking, well, I've done this, this, and this in my past, God is saying, that does not matter. My love is greater than that. My forgiveness is greater than that. My grace is greater than that. It is not going to be an issue. That is not an excuse. You can't say that I've been too bad in my past to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? You just need to come to me. And I will meet you right where you are. And I will forgive you. A a little bit more on just, you know, what exactly does this this born-again thing mean? In John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus, and and he was asking questions about the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. In the story, when Jesus said you must be born again, Nicodemus was focused totally on the physical. And he was thinking, you know, you're you're crazy. You know, how can me, a grown man, go back into my mother's womb? That's kind of impossible. And Jesus was saying, that's not what this is about. It's a spiritual rebirth. rebirth. It's being born again. It's being cleansed spiritually. It's taking that step and saying, I want to have a relationship with you, God. And accepting that. 
to explain a little bit further, I know I'm jumping around a, a bunch of different passages, but, but I want us to, to hop over to Ephesians chapter 2 because this explains great the story of the prodigal son, where we are, and, and what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in you, in, or work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath." Basically, what those first three verses are saying is that we live in a fallen world. We're fallen. We're sinful. We're selfish. And those are the rules we play by. And and that's how we live our life. And you saw that in the story of the prodigal son is that he was sinful. He was selfish. He wanted his inheritance. He left home. And he did what he wanted to do. But then these verses go on to say, in verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A mouthful, a lot there. Some of you may have gotten lost after verse 5. But here's what this is saying. Basically, this is what Jesus did for you. You were lost, you were selfish. But God's love, he sent Jesus to this earth to die for you, to pay that penalty for your sins. He died on a cross. And if you accept that, then you can have eternal life. But this goes further and it says it's a gift of God. You read that in those verses 8 and 9. It is the gift of God. This is nothing that you can do. I have a gift here. Well, kind of. I'm going to take it back, so it's not really a gift. So, this is a real, real expensive gift. Why is it going to be expensive? Well, one, it's a bobblehead. Bobbleheads are awesome. Two, it has my name on it. So someday when I'm famous, it's going to be worth, I don't know, five bucks or whatever. Um, but, uh, but suppose... Suppose I came and, and, and gave this to Deb and said, hey, this is going to be worth a ton of money. Uh, yeah, Coach Keith, isn't that cool? This is going to be worth a, a, a lot of money, so I'm going to give it to you. Okay, someday it will be worth a ton of money. But hey, hey, can I have $5 for it? <laughs> She's going to give it back. <laughs> All right, is, is it a true gift if I do that? Even though, say, say if it was worth $20. I, I know it's not worth $20. But say if it was worth $20 and I said, I said, but can you give me 50 cents for it? Is it a gift then? No. It's, it's not a gift at all. And, and that's what God is saying here is you, there's nothing that you can do to get into heaven. It's not you. You can't earn your way in. You can't do good deeds. You can't say, well, you know what? Last week I helped two ladies cross the street. I mowed my, or shoveled, can't be mowing right now. Um, 
You know, I, I shoveled my neighbor's driveway. I did all this, and so I'm, I'm doing good. I'm a good person. You know, if you said all of that stuff to God, he would say, sorry, wrong answer. That's not going to cut it. It's nothing you do. In those verses, it says it is the gift of God. You have to accept that. You have to finally say, you know what, God? I've been hiding. I want you to find me now. I want to take that step. I accept the blame. I want to ask you for forgiveness. And I want to accept that free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn this. Now, when you read in those verses, you go on to verse 10. If you accept that, the good works is a result of that. Because that says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay? The good works are a result of you accepting what Christ did for you. Okay? And I can't stress that enough. You need to take that step. You need to accept that free gift that he offers. Sorry I didn't let you keep this. But it brings back too many good memories for me of coaching little kids playing soccer. When you accept that gift, when you do that, there, there's some things that happen. Second Corinthians five sixteen and 17 say this. It says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When you accept that gift that Christ offers, you become a new creation. You become born again. Does this mean your life's going to be perfect? No. But it gives you a hope, it gives you a strength, it gives you a courage to live your life knowing that you now have this relationship with Christ. You now have a courage. You now have a hope because you know no matter what happens in the end, Christ has victory over my sin, I'm forgiven, and when I die... I'm going to live eternally with him. How incredible is that? And this is a free gift that God offers you. If you're just willing to take that step and say, you know what, I need to be found this morning. A little bit further, just explaining that. um, A great passage out of Ezekiel chapter 36. You know, here here Jesus, God is talking to to the Israelites, but it just paints a a great picture of even tied to what Jesus was saying in John chapter 3. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What a great picture of if you accept that gift that changes what God will do in your life. But you need to be willing to take those steps. Like in the story of the prodigal son, he finally said, you know what? This is where I need to be. And I need to be back home with my father. And that is where you need to be. That is a decision that you need to make. Let's explain it a little bit further. This is from my childhood as well. How many of you guys remember, and I know this is a little small, so I apologize, um, but uh, the wordless book, 
You got, have you guys ever heard of the wordless book? Like five people. All right, cool. We're going to go through this. This was something, man, this was like, this was a staple when I was, this in flannel graph, if you've ever heard of flannel graph. That was, that was like a staple of growing up in the church. And someday, if we get a, a camera in here that we can do live video feed, I will, I will do a sermon with flannel graph because I love it. Um, I, I think it's great. Um, anyways, um, that, that's for another day. Um, but, but the word of this book used use colors to represent the story that I've just been talking about. So we're going to do this together. All right? We're going to go a little bit backwards with it to start out just because it's all closed up. Um, and, uh, but, but this is the way, way it goes. The green stands for, for, for growth in, in that the good deeds, what we were talking about, when you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're going to want to grow in your life. Okay, so that's what the green stands for. Hopefully I won't drop anything. All right? The yellow stands for heaven. All right? And uh, because it says, says that we're going to walk on streets of gold, that type of thing, so that's why it's yellow. And, and so the yellow stands for heaven. And what we've talked about is that you get to heaven by accepting that free gift and asking for that forgiveness of sins. So there's white as well, okay? And the white stands for when you do accept all that Christ did for you on the cross, then your sins are washed as white as snow, and you're forgiven, so you're clean, okay? And the red, I know it's getting smaller, so, but the red stands for um, what Christ did on the cross, how he shed his blood for you, and that in turn makes you white as snow, okay? But what we have in the center before you accept all this is this is your heart, okay? And it's black with sin, right? Um, until you accept all that he did for you on the cross. So we're going to have a little quiz, okay? So, all right. What does the red stand for? His blood, all right? His blood is what Jesus did on the cross, correct? All right. Let me get this now. I want to make sure our balcony is awake. So balcony people, what does the white stand for? Our heart is, what is that? Pure as snow. Okay, because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and our hearts are wa- washed as white as snow. Yellow? Heaven? All right, because you've accepted all that Christ did, you're going to go to heaven. And then the green stands for? Growth. All right. Because once you've accepted all he did, you want to grow. Let's go through it one more time. All right. Green. Grow. Because you've accepted all that Christ did for you. Right. Yellow. Heaven. Now I see more of you are catching on finally. All right. So heaven stands for. Heaven stands for. All right. That made sense. Okay. If we accept all that Christ did for us, our sins are forgiven, and we know for sure we can go to heaven. The white stands for. Okay, we're washed as white as snow. The red stands for blood of Christ. Now, here's the deal. If you totally accept that, okay, we talked about how you're washed as white as snow, right? See? And your heart turns as white as snow, you know? Totally, completely, all right? It's as white as snow, and it's clean, and that's what God does for you, okay? It's not just a... 
simple. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right. Don't quit my day job, right? <laughs> but, guys, that's, that's what God does for you. He, he wipes the slate clean. You're as white as snow. And he forgives you and you can have that hope. And, and that's what you can have this morning. And, and I, I just, I want to go through it again so, so you get this and, and you can understand it, is that basically God created us to be with him. That's what he wanted from the get-go. He created us to be with him. But our sin separates us from God. Just like you saw in that story, the, the prodigal son decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going away, and he got separated from his father because of his sin, because of his selfishness. Our sin separates us from God. And, and guys, like I said earlier, your sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Okay? Your sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And so what had to be done, you know, there's that conflict that God wants to be with us, but we're separated from us because of our, from him because of our sins, and it's nothing you can do. So to solve that conflict by paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again on the cross. And here's the deal. Everyone who trusts in him alone will have eternal life. But it has to be in him alone and accepting what he did for you on the cross and then finally, if you do that, life with Jesus starts today and lasts forever, forever. This morning, if you are here and you've been hiding from God, this is your chance to say, God, I want to be found by you. I want to start that relationship with you. You can do that. And you can make the most important decision that will be ever made in your life. It's not where you're going to go to college or what job's going to be next or whether you're going to have kids, who you're going to marry. The most important decision you can ever make is accepting that relationship with Jesus Christ and saying, God, I want to be found by you. If you want to do that this morning, I'm going to, in a, in a moment, just lead you in a prayer that you just repeat after me. And that starts you on that path. It starts you on saying, okay, God, I want to be found. I'm tired of doing this on my own. And, and I want to be found. So I encourage you to, to pray this with me as we pray. Let's all bow our heads. Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I realize that my good deeds will never get me into heaven. Right now, I believe that, that Jesus died in my place for my sins. I trust in him alone to forgive me for all of my sins. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm not going to make you stand up, jump up and down unless you want to. Um, just like in the story, it is a time to celebrate because God celebrates when you do that. But, but if you prayed that prayer, I am going to ask you to do one thing. Okay? I'm going to encourage you to, there, there's hopefully in your pew, there's a card, it's called a yes card. And sign your name on this and, and, and just say, you know what, because this is an exciting thing. This is something you need to share with people and saying, I made this decision today. 
But I, what I want you to do, and why we do this, is, is to go out to the Get Connected table, and they have a bag for you that says, here's the next steps to take. In it, you'll have a, your, a, a Bible and, and just some papers on saying, you know, con- congratulations, because it is a, a cool thing. But it's also then just saying, hey, here's where to get started, here's what to do next, because so many times we're not sure, okay, what are the next steps? And, and that's what it's for. Okay? If you don't want to go out there, um, come talk to me. And just say, hey, this is a decision I made. Um, what can I do next? And, you know, it's one of those decisions that will change your life forever. For those of you who are already on that road and have already made that decision, be praying for those this morning who prayed that prayer. Lift them up. Encourage them. Don't be like the older son in the story who was upset that his younger son was home again.